Welcome again to the latest episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. That's the virtual church classroom of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my daughter Bethany. Each time we record these messages or these conversations, it is our hope that we're bringing you into a enlightened discussion that would cause you to really engage your critical thinking skills. That's the very essence of our knowing heart, God with heart and mind. Uh, that's why we call it that. And uh, this week we begin this episode, I should say, is uh, episode seven of the Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis study. And it's being recorded on April 13th, 2019. And we are in chapter one of book two, The Rival Conceptions of God. So, Bethany, you ready to tear into this? Sure thing. Okay, well, so the first question in our study guide is, uh, what is the one thing that Christians do not need to believe, but atheists do. Oh, I double highlighted this because I liked it so much. It's in two colors. Wow. I know. I just thought it was a really good line. And I think he, like, there's kind of two pieces, but he says that, like, he's going to tell you things Christians should believe, but he starts by saying this is one thing you don't need to believe, and it's basically... I think profound because he says you don't have to believe that every other religion is completely wrong. Um, which I just really appreciate because I have, I know too many people who automatically go to that. Well, I'm right. So you're totally wrong. There's nothing that could possibly be correct about what you're saying. And I really don't like it when people mm -hmm. go all black and white like that. Um, so atheists so, are, are expected uh, an atheist must believe yeah that all religions are wrong all the way through right and consequently most humans have been wrong all the way throughout history yeah whereas christians don't have to believe that all religions are wrong all the way through but they do believe where there is a difference christianity is always right yeah so it's actually easier to be a christian or I guess you could argue that it's easier to be committed to one faith system right? rather than being opposed to them all. Which I think is an interesting point because I feel like a lot of times when people say they're atheists, they're saying they're atheist because they don't believe in Christianity. Right. At least in America. So I don't want to make a broad statement for the yeah, whole world. Well, but like in America, a lot of people say they're atheist and they mean that they're not Christian. But... If you asked them, you know, do you think meditation is a useful tool for clearing your mind? They'd say yes. And you'd say, well, you know, that's a tenet of Buddhism. So I think that this is a really good point he's making. Well, and, you know, for years I've been saying it in a much more crass way. I just say there are I don't believe in atheists, which which is only a simple way to say how I feel because I really don't believe in atheists. I believe there are people out there who call themselves atheists, but I can listen to them talk long enough to eventually come to the conclusion that they have a strong belief in something. 
In fact, one of the things that's absolutely remarkable to me is is that every now and again, uh, chapters of the International Atheist Society, I don't know that that's what they call it, but they really have, like, you know, you can Google atheists online and you'll find out that they, they congregate together or at least, you know, want to share their commitment to it, which I find ironic because they're basically having their own kind of religion. Their, their uh, religion is a religion of anti-faith in anything, which is basically a commitment to a sort of anti-God. And in a way, the anti-God is their God. And I would even go so far as to say that the most remarkable thing that they do is periodically they pull their resources and they run advertising campaigns like on buses and things to say there is no God. I do think that's really fascinating because if you don't think that it matters, then why does it matter? Why do you need to convince other people that they're wrong? Yeah. If you don't believe there's a God, then what are you gaining by trying to convince people that there is no God? Mm -hmm. I mean... It really comes down... Other than maybe they think they need to make the populace more intelligent like they are. Well, but so, in effect, they're making themselves God. Yeah. You know, I, I don't... That's why I said I don't believe in atheists. I think an atheist is, is, is a catch-all word for somebody who, as you say, rejects Christianity and or rejects any form of, of God. Or religion. I mean, they. I think that's what the original definition is supposed to mean, but I think it has warped. Well, I won't go into it except to say that I've always believed that many of the proponents of evolution, as more than a theory, are in effect proselytizing a religion. Because if they are so adamantly committed to convincing human beings that religion is wrong, God didn't create all of this, it just happened, and then it evolved, when they are so committed to trying to make everybody understand how wrong it is to believe that God did this, then they're basically proponents of a different religious system. Mm -hmm. And so... I, I do, you know, and, and boy, if this isn't the perfect example of critical thinking that we've always made the hallmark of this podcast, that's it right there. Do your critical thinking, especially when people are arguing against your faith as though you're sort of stupid for having the faith and somehow they're superior because they don't. And, and you know, what you'll find is is that in a lot of cases, the person of faith has more carefully thought through what they believe and why they believe it than the person who is opposed to their faith. I thought it was really ironic because he writes in here that when he became a Christian, he was able to take a more liberal view of things. Yeah. Which a lot of, I think, if other people who call themselves atheists heard that, they'd be like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Because they think that as if you become a Christian or if you are a Christian, you're bound by all of these things and automatically it's a more conservative outlook on life. But he says it's more liberal, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually. Well, you know, um, 
I, I don't, again, it's something I could go off on. It's a topic that's been a passion of mine for a long time, but the essence of sin is, is being more self-centered than God-centered. Mm-hmm. And, and the reality is the more self-centered you are, the more gravitational pull yourself has. Um, this week, a picture, for the first time, we actually got to see a picture of a black hole. That was in the news. A black hole is something that has so much gravitational pull that it even grabs the light and pulls it in. And if if the Bible isn't explicit about any one thing over another, one thing that seems to be very dominant in the entire scripture theme-wise is the light of God versus the darkness of evil. That that there's a, I don't even know if that word, what I just said made any sense, but, but, but just at the end of the day, God is light and evil is darkness and, and where there is darkness and it's not a, you know, it's not necessarily a metaphor. It's literally light and dark. And so I think that self-centered thinking is like a black hole. And eventually you become so self-absorbed that it becomes a blackness that even sucks in the light so that even people who are trying to bring light into your life and, and enlighten you and to help you, you know, um, either way you look at it, it's, it's, those are the kind that are so far gone. And I think that, that uh, in in reality, the person who is calling themselves an atheist and who is violently and 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 I don't mean that literally like physical violence, but violent in their language, violent in the way that they approach people that they don't approve of or disagree or that they disagree with. This is a darkness. This is this is really the essence of it. So I I have a real issue with that, as you can tell. So let's move on to question two. Um. The first big division in humanity separates a majority of people who believe in some sort of God or gods from a minority who do not. Mm -hmm. List the members of the two groups that Lewis notes, non-believers in God or gods and believers in God or gods. Well, so he puts Christianity with like the Greeks and Romans and all of their multitudes of gods and then but also with like like lots of philosophy like like um like stoicism and plato and and he adds in like muslims and hindus and mm-hmm. like basically any culture or group that has some kind of idea about a god or gods. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that. I, so he's, I just said he's what he doing. Said, but. Well, it's he's doing what he did in the first book. He's starting with a really, really, really broad view, mm-hmm. and then just working his way down like a funnel to his main point. So basically, non-believers in a god or gods, he would call materialists. A, materialists, yeah. And Which he referred to back in the first book. Yeah, and materialism is, I think, a good single word for what I was describing earlier about the whole black hole of, of self-centeredness. It's, 
it's really all about me and my stuff and my people that I care about and and boy I, I think you see it all over our society right now I I have seen in the last two years some of the most amazing you know uh, expressions of this materialism as he calls it and and I think it's breaking our society apart right now um, and it, it seems political on the surface but it's ideological at the end of the day and political figures are just the sort of lightning rods for the the divergence you know mm-hmm. that the, the, the illustrate the divergence so um, yeah, and, and he, you know, in, in question two, he basically says then believers in gods are people like Christians mm-hmm. and Stoics and Greeks and Platonists and Hindus and ancient Romans, modern savages and Muslims, which, you know, savages is kind of a unpolitically incorrect term that he uses. But in those days, it was really just uh, uh, people who were, it was a word that was used to describe people who were not... Uh, uh, educated in Western European thought, you know, I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. you know, back in, back when John Wesley was, was coming over to, to the new world to preach to the savages. It, it's just, uh, unfortunately there's a whole mindset that went along with it too, where they really thought of them as less than human. But in reality, it's a word that describes people who are completely oblivious. We'd call it third world now, I think. It'd probably be the word to describe it as the third world peoples. So number three says the next big division separates those with a God belief by the sort of God they believe in. One view is called pantheism Mm -hmm. and the other theism. Characterize the difference between these two views of God. So one, ethically in terms of good and evil. Two, cosmologically, in terms of how God is related to the universe. And three, sociologically, in terms of which groups or individuals adhere to the views. So this is a little complicated, but let's start Mm -hmm. with just the difference between pantheism and theism. Well, he talks about pantheism, like, if you're a pantheist, you believe that God exists outside of good and evil. Right. That he's not good or evil, he's separate. And whereas theists, Christians, Jews, Muslims, we believe that God is good Mm -hmm. and he's opposed to evil. So we don't separate him from the morality. He is the morality. So that's, that's the ethical perspective then. That for pantheism, God is beyond good and evil. And for theism, God is good. Yeah. And then, he, he is the moral. Yeah, so ground. the moral standard is God. And Christians hold that in common with other religions. Yeah. So it's not a unique belief well, like of the big, Christianity. That's common to the big three, I would say. Right. Like, you know. So, uh, cosmological perspective. Um, for anyone who's not comfortable with that word, cosmology, cosmological um, it's not uh, getting your hair done and your nails done or anything. Cosmos is a uh, word that means the ordered universe. Mm-hmm. It, des- it describes uh, a created or ordered creation. And for pantheists, then, 
the it, cosmological perspective is well they talk about like or he talks about how like god like almost is the universe like he to them he if the universe didn't exist he wouldn't exist because he they're like mm-hmm. a single unit um whereas like the christian worldview the christian god view i guess is that he's the divine creator he created the universe if the universe didn't exist he still would yeah because it's, he uh, it's a phrase that i use a lot in in my preaching and teaching is i will periodically remind people that god is not part of what god has created yeah that god is wholly other yeah. than what was created which is a really important concept for people and what i find is is that in churches every time i teach that usually at least one person will come to me, sometimes several, and they will say, I just never thought of it that way, which tells me that the default mode is the pantheistic view. Well, I think you see that a lot of ways because, like, you know, I talked about how the one view that he shared um, that was, like, the little side note view about, like, the life force philosophy Mm -hmm. reminded me of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's this is too. Like, yeah, we kind of joked about Star Wars, the Force, and all that. Well, like, I just like, yeah, like the Force is. That's a good example too. Mm-hmm. I think of this because, like, in Star Wars, the Force is the universe. The universe. It's everywhere. You feel like you're. You either feel it or you don't. But like, and but I think like in our real world, since unfortunately Star Wars is not reality. Right. Um, like the whole mother earth thing or like the universe is listening to us and like, you know, people say they get messages from the universe and kind of that, as you would call it, that hippy dippy. Well, and and honestly, you know, um, long haired. (laughs) I didn't say it. I didn't say it. (laughs) That's really just a throwback from, from back in the seventies when, (laughs) when Archie Bunker on all in the family liked to call people that, but uh, the hippies. But just, like, this idea that the universe speaks to you and stuff instead of it being a god who created the universe. Which, you know, the, the there's... the you As Lewis is intentionally doing here, we're, we're drawing closer then to a point because there is a, a certain connection point there where, you know, for example, I was just thinking the person who tells me after the sermon where I talk about God being altogether apart from creation... The person who tells me that, there are two, two ways you can look at it. They've either assumed that God was, you know, like the pantheist view, like he's just the universe, that God is just the universe. But then there's also a, basically a statement of, I just don't give God much thought. Mm-hmm. And until today, I didn't give God a whole lot of thought, which is kind of ironic and sad because that really is a sort of, a sort of statement that, that even though you've been in church all your life, you haven't really given God a great deal of thought. Mm-hmm. And again, the premise of knowing God with heart and mind is to try to encourage people to really enter into a relationship with God that is both intellectual and spiritual or, or from the heart, you know, and, and so Hopefully this is helping you with that. So the last thing is, is then what are the adherent groups that are most commonly viewed in pantheism? Well, the only ones he really mentions are like, he thinks Hinduism. Yeah. And he mentions like a German philosopher. Hegel. 
Yeah. I had to read Hegel in seminary. I don't remember much about it. So I did not read Hegel been. in philosophy. But, I, you know, I got to say, um, uh, that that is a, you know, at least at the time he wrote this in the mid-40s, late, you know, because he kind of came back to it in the early 50s. But by the time he put this together, he was thinking in terms of, like, organized religion. Mm-hmm. But I'd say in this country there are no end to pantheistic uh because pantheism really borders on paganism Mm -hmm. i mean they really are kind of you know and and paganism is more like nature worship and that kind of thing it's more of a you know there's a god for everything there's a god of the water there's a god of the air there's a god of the sun and you know and the god of the trees and 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 boy do we ever have a lot of paganism in our in our world these days um I love trees, I and mean, every time we go on a hike, sometimes I see a tree that is just so inspiring to me that I just look at it and go, "What a beautiful tree!" Mm-hmm. I, I just want to, I just want to give you a hug and tell you how awesome you are. And then I think, "Oh my gosh!" If people heard me say that out of context, they would think I was some kind of weird pagan, you know, hippie freak, whatever. But really, all I'm saying is, is I just have this great admiration for this work of of nature that God set into motion and but I have the same you know and I and like I, to hug trees the only the only thing about like hugging the tree is I just kind of I, I feel like if I touch this big beautiful tree that's been around for hundreds of years maybe you know it just makes me feel connected to the creator mm-hmm. I mean that's how I look at mm-hmm. it which is so I'm not worshiping the tree I'm worshiping the creator of the tree but the mere fact that I have now put this out there means that I'm probably setting myself up for some abuse, even if it's just good-natured fun. Yeah, because you, you usually tell me, don't tell anyone I said that. Yeah, I do. And I, I usually just go up and hug the tree because I like trees a lot. Yeah, so... so I'm know, not ashamed to admit it. I may be guilty of being a tree hugger, but... <laughs> a literal tree hugger, though. <laughs> a literal tree hugger. Like, like I just think trees are awesome. I mean, what is more awesome, and, and if you've never done this as a child or even as an adult, then I feel sorry for you, but what is more awesome than climbing a wonderful tree and laying in its branches, you know? That is like the greatest thing in the whole world. There's nothing like climbing a tree and laying in its branches and and just letting it rock you while the wind blows through the leaves. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, that is like as close to being in God's lap. Do you ever think about, because I like to take books with me to do things like that, but did you ever think about how that's kind of like a weird thing because you're in this living tree and you're reading a dead tree, basically? That's really wrong and it makes me feel weird. Okay, that's where you go with it because I don't know that I've ever sat in a tree and read a book. Well, I take books everywhere. <laughs> I usually just sit in the tree and, of course, I haven't done this in years. <laughs> and and it's going to take a pretty big tree now. Um, you know, not that I'm huge, but I'm certainly not... Uh, the little guy that used to do it all the time. But I, I remember in the summers when I was a child in western Pennsylvania and I'd go into the woods and I would wander around the woods for hours. And every I had certain trees I really liked to climb and, and, and I would sometimes climb up in those trees and I'd find a little kind of three-pronged sort of mm-hmm. forky sort of branch and I'd lay there in that branch and I would just listen to the wind blow and the leaves and the birds sing and uh, you know i i love nature i love the outdoors mm-hmm. but 
I won't lie. I'm, I despise some of the really bizarre behaviors that some lovers of nature engage in. I simply honor the creator for making every single element of the creation so magnificent and majestically mm -hmm. beautiful. And I just happen to really enjoy solitude in the arms of a tree and in the woods and in a peaceful place where it's quiet and the only sounds I hear are natural sounds and not noise pollution. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm, I'm ruined. I've made it public. <laughs> anyway, let's move on before I dig a hole any deeper. I don't so, think it's a bad hole. What big question is raised if God is good before this conversion, before his conversion, how did Lewis respond to Christian answers to this question. Okay, I, I butchered that. I'll read it again. What big question is raised if God is good? And then before his conversion, how did C.S. Lewis respond to Christian answers to this question? That's in paragraph five. Yeah, I feel like I skipped ahead. If God is good, God made the world... Why has it gone wrong? Well, before his own conversion, C.S. Lewis responded by refusing to listen while thinking, aren't all your arguments simply a complicated attempt to avoid the obvious? So the big question is, so if God it is did good, then how come the world's messed up? Yeah, but it did skip like a chunk of stuff, and that's why I was ah, confused. Okay, well, what, what, what did the study guide skip that you think you need to... Well, I don't know that it's to. like, well, I know that I highlighted a sentence in a different color, which means I really liked it. Okay. Because usually if I mark something in different colors, it's because I was like, wanted to really yeah, remember. Bring it on. This is the study. The study guide is really just a tool for helping our conversation, but it's still ultimately about what the readers have sought uh, to understand even more deeply. Well, I think I just highlighted like he was talking, he was giving some examples of like how pain pantheism doesn't really work because like well he gives one example earlier where he talks about how like if the idea that god is the universe is is correct then that's kind of like if a painter dies then his picture dies too like if somebody paints a picture but then mm -hmm. they die the picture ceases to exist too which doesn't make much sense yeah and then, but he also talks about how like if if you think that God is separate from good and evil, then, like, if a pantheist is confronted with cancer, they, they'd be like, oh, well, if you look at it from the divine point of view, this is also God. And, mm -hmm. and we're like, actually, no, cancer is evil. And God probably doesn't like it either. You know, like, yeah. and he says that, but... And I just, I know why I highlighted this sentence, because his, his, he says, the Christian replies, don't talk damn nonsense. <laughs> but he does have a little asterisk down here that says, like, people complained that he was frivolously swearing when he did this on the radio. And he was like, no, I meant damned. Right. Like, <laughs> God doesn't like that. Right. It's and damnation. Yeah. And so what I highlighted is he says Christianity is a fighting re religion. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's not. Yeah. It, well, 
That so. is one of the things that absolutely boggles my mind as a pastor is how apathetic most Christians are. So, yeah. so basically, I should say most, most church attenders, people who regularly attend church and get great value from the social constructs of church um, are often extremely apathetic about God and about Christ. And I hesitate to say that about as much as I hesitate to say the thing about the trees because I'm saying that if you come to me after church and say I've never really thought of God as being wholly apart from creation, one of the conclusions I have to draw is that you haven't given God enough thought, which is okay because that's my job. My job is to make you give God a lot more thought, to prompt you to give God more thought. Mm -hmm. I, I can't make you do anything. I can't change you. But, but the reason we're doing this podcast, the reason that I write Bible studies, the reason that I preach, the reason everything I do as a pastor, I feel is entirely about helping you to take God seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really, that really is that, that my job is to, is to advocate for God, not that he needs my help with anything, but to, to, to be a voice that prompts you to take God seriously and then by taking God seriously, taking God's plan of redemption seriously, which is Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus said that the gates of hell would not be able to stand against the church. Right. And that statement is a statement by the Lord Jesus himself that the gates of hell are there and we are supposed to be breaking Storming them down. Them. It doesn't say that our gates on our churches will stand firm against Satan. That's not what he said. He said that we were supposed to be storming the castle. He said to have fun storming the castle. Exactly. And he said that the gates of hell wouldn't stand against the church. Fighting that religion. That is a fighting religion. Amen. Yep. Got preaching there for a minute. <laughs> well, see, now you understand why I marked that in a different color, because it was really awesome. It's a great quote. Yep. Well, the last question for this, uh, for, for chapter one of book two is, what did Lewis finally come to see about his argument against the existence of God? Recall the ought in the previous book. Well, he, he talks about, like, like you said, that he, before he, when he was an atheist, he was saying, like, isn't it a lot easier to just be like, just to accept that there's not anything instead of making it really complicated. But then he started thinking about like this whole just and unjust thing. Mm -hmm. Well, what you ought to do. And he realized like he didn't like if he was saying, if he was assuming that the universe was cruel and unjust, then he was like, yeah, but uh, like, what am I comparing it with when I call it unjust? Like, where did I get this just and unjust idea? Mm -hmm. And so then he was like, he started questioning that. Um, and he said, like, if I was going to stick with my atheist belief, then I should have, like, thrown out this idea of justice as something that I just came up with. Mm -hmm. But... If he did that, then he realized that his argument against God kind of collapsed, too. Because his whole argument against God depends on saying that the world's unjust. Mm -hmm. So if he throws out this idea of justice that saying he came up with it, then he loses all his footing for why God doesn't exist. And he realized that, like, 
in all his attempt, basically in his attempt to prove that God doesn't exist. Right. He basically discovered that like he, he couldn't throw out one without the other and his whole sense of reality, like it, it didn't make sense Yeah, he, without. He, so he wondered how in the first place he had gotten the notion of just and unjust right. by which to measuring or judge the universe. And then in trying to prove God did not exist and that the whole of reality was meaningless, he had to initially assume that his view of justice was full of meaning or sense. Yeah. But if the whole universe was really senseless, we wouldn't have ever been able to discover it. So he basically, like, he says atheism's too simple. Yeah. Because, like... It, like you said, like if the universe has no meaning, then we wouldn't have discovered that it has no meaning because it's meaningless. And it brings me and, back to that whole argument and he of why uses, did they proselytize them? Well, and he uses light and dark as his example at the end because uh-huh. he says, like, if we didn't know light existed, so like we don't we wouldn't have eyes because we wouldn't need eyes because light didn't exist. Then we would never have a definition of dark either because there's no light. There's no dark. Right. And so dark would be a word without any meaning. Mm-hmm. So, like, well, and I've heard that the darkness or blackness is simply a description of the absence of light. Absence of black is absence of light, and yeah. white is like. And we're just talking about colors. All the light, you but, know. I mean, in the color spectrum, black is a place that, or or a state of existence where there is no light. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's just like. You know, and then that's why they say don't wear black clothes like when you're out in the heat in the summer. That's right. Because it'll just suck it all in. Yep. You should wear light colored clothes because it reflects it, which is a really good symbolic thing too. Yeah. Don't suck in all the light. Yep. Reflect it back out. Well, that's pretty good stuff. I I think that was another good lesson. And uh, boy, C.S. Lewis, uh, Jack is thank the you. man. <laughs> Thank you, Jack, for continuing to bless us even after you've gone to be with the Lord. And uh, you are one fella I can't wait to meet someday. Yep. Uh, But then there's probably a thousand or a hundred thousand like you that never got famous, never wrote a book, (laughs) never were known by anyone other than the Lord himself. And he might introduce me to them too. And you might be talking with them endlessly in paradise right now. Who knows? But... uh, Folks, I hope you've had an informed and enlightening discussion here. Uh, You know, faith and intellect can coexist, and uh, God invites that. God encourages that, I think, and, and, uh, you know, uh, darn it, I'm trying to remember a passage from Scripture that I really like that's a, it's a, um, I'm going to paraphrase, it's in the Old Testament, I think it might be a proverb. But it's basically that that to study the word and to seek God is to be equal to the kings in glory. You know that that you're more you're you're more majestic and king or queen like as someone who seeks God and studies Scripture. Um, I mean, I love that concept. You know, we have this great majestic genius who has made all that we can see and perceive and understand or try to understand, and the giant magnificent incomprehensible majestic genius who created us invites us to join in the majesty of seeking him mm-hmm. 
and I use him simply as a simple word, not as a statement of gender. Um, it's absolutely incredible, and I, I just really pity people who call themselves atheists. I really pity people who who don't spend enough time thinking about God. Uh, I, pity, I pity people who don't give God due consideration. And believe me, if you're one of those who remembers telling me that, I don't want you to feel bad because you've heard me say this. I simply want you to recognize the joy I have because you've awakened to it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all. I'm not upset with anybody. I pity people because I feel that their lives are incomplete. I could even say that I kind of pity you if you haven't climbed a tree at least once in your life. But it still wouldn't be the same if I was talking to you about how much you've considered God. Because you may have, like me, reached a point where climbing trees is a little bit more dangerous than it used to be. But you can still consider God right up till the very last moments of your life. You can still give God a little bit of your heart and mind so that you can seek God's heart and mind. Mm-hmm. So, Bethany, you got anything else to share with our friends? Mm, I don't think so. Not today. We love you. We appreciate your listening. Your comments on the Facebook group are precious to us. Uh, we really enjoy reading those and really are, are blessed. And, and honestly, the, the some of the stuff that's been printed up there on that Facebook page lately is so rich and deep that it's hard for me to write a, a reasonable response to it. It's it's. I feel bad if all I say is, thanks, that's really awesome. <laughs> But it's because it's so awesome, it's just it's very complimentary to what we're doing here. So if you're not visiting the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook page, um, you're missing some additional commentary that comes from at least one of our listeners real regularly. And I wish that more of you would join in that conversation um, because it inspires us and I think you inspire each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're not a Facebook person and you'd like to communicate with us, there are other ways. Visit shilohum.org and uh, you can find out all the connection points for Shiloh and for me. And uh, you can reach out through email, call us on the phone. You can get our address and write us a good old-fashioned postcard or a letter. But what, however you reach out, we'd be glad to hear from you. And if you're in the Jasper area, that's in southwest Indiana, not too far from Evansville, why, come see us. We would love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings and uh, come by Shiloh any day of the week because there's always something going on at Shiloh. So for now, God bless you and goodbye.